had a lot of things going on uh, in our lives. Uh, recently, there's been deaths, there's been sicknesses, uh, there's been troubles, and um, I just want to take time to have a special prayer, and I want to mention this scripture, uh, I think, that can apply to all of us in all of our situations, because Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. You'll have trouble. And isn't it interesting he didn't mention what kind of trouble? <laughs> so guess what? That, that applies to every single one of us in every single one of our troubles in all of our life. In this world, you will. He didn't say you might. He said you will have trouble. And we don't have to be older to know that, do we? If I ever get older, I, I'm, I already know it. So I'm ready. But he said, in this world you have trouble, but rejoice because I have overcome the world. And he has overcome the world and the power of sin and death by dying on the cross, being buried, and rising again on the third day and now seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for the saints. And that's us, the children of God. Jesus himself is praying for us constantly. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. We have all that with us in all of our troubles, and we're only human. This is something we just need to remember all the time. We're only human. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. We're going to fear. We're going to struggle. We're going to have troubles. We're, we're not very uh, holy, are we? The only, the only thing about us, the only thing that's righteous in us is from God. But we have our righteousness in Christ as believers, as his children. And in all of our struggles and all of our troubles, I know uh, we've been praying for Lynn and his mom and their family. We've got people who are going through. Uh, Art Robertson right now has been really sick and in and out of the hospital. We have others who have lost loved ones, uh, going through sicknesses, cancers, long-term uh, illnesses. And, and just the troubles and strife of life day to day and sometimes just one thing can come up and devastate you that day or that week and so I just want to take a moment to say uh, I want to pray for each one of us ask you to consider day by day that you who are children of God have the Holy Spirit living in you you have the Word of God to guide you you have the brothers and sisters in Christ and if you have a problem come to a brother and sister in Christ that's what the fellowship of the body of Christ is about uh, we, we need each other. We don't just need God. He put us in the body of Christ to be members of one body, all with different abilities, personalities, and ministries and gifts from the Holy Spirit. So I just want to encourage us all in all this that's going on, pray for one another, put your trust in God, rejoice in the Lord, and remember, he has overcome the world. Father in heaven, we commit ourselves to you for your glory, to worship you, to sing your praises, and we ask for the strength to turn to you, to trust in you, to be thankful in all situations, to be patient and kind and loving and forgiving, and to truly seek your kingdom and your righteousness, truly seek to honor you with our lives, truly seek to please you as your children. Bless our church, protect us, provide for us, bring more people to come to Christ as Savior, bring more people to uh, join our church and serve in fellowship and worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing forever. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. 
Jasper in the house? Good morning, everyone. Just a quick announcement. This coming May 28th, Homeless Ministry. Uh, if you are interested to volunteer, just approach Larry McFarland for more information. And this coming May 3, parents sign up this coming uh, Memorial Day at Baker's Residence, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. If you need more information, you can just uh, approach uh, Ms. Linda Baker for more info. And to those who are watching online, once again, we have uh, two additional rooms for smaller setting where you can watch on TV live and mass is required in uh, room 108. And do we have any guests this morning? If this is your first time, we encourage you to fill out our uh, guest registration card. And we are so happy to have you today and hope you would enjoy worshiping us this morning. Thank you. Oh yeah, I, I'm trying to be flexible if somebody, <laughs> so let's pray. So there you go. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us this morning where we could experience your grace and the fellowship, Lord, where we could strengthen one another. We believe, Lord, that we cannot live our Christian life alone, but it's only by your grace and by the help of our fellow Christians. And Father, we thank you for sustaining us throughout the week, for your provision, protection, and for the answered prayer, and even, Lord, for uh, the testing that you sent us. We believe, Lord, that you gave it, not because we cannot make it, but it's only by your grace, and it will help us to grow in our relationship with you and in our faith, Lord. Lord, help us to love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. May your name be magnified and glorified in our means this morning. In Christ's precious name, amen. We don't want to miss out on a moment of prayer together, do we? Amen. Let's sing above all. Yeah. 
so thankful for beautiful music. God created music, gave us music as a gift so that we could give it back to him in worship. And there's 10,000 reasons why we should bless the Lord, probably more, but I don't write the songs, I just read them. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Still my soul will sing 
We're going to sing a special song for you today. <coughs> this song is called Nobody Loves Me Like You, and guess who it's talking about? Jesus, amen.
I don't think I need to preach. They did my whole sermon in songs. Good morning, Tucson Mountain. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? Man, every time I think I've got something a little different and their music just fits right in. You know, here's the problem. None of us are immune from the struggles of life. None of us are immune from the evils of this world that come in. And that typically causes us troubled hearts. And that's what we're going to look at today. How to calm our troubled heart. We need those theological answers. We need the theological answers that we sang about right here. We need some of the practical answers that we heard about right here. But you know what? There's a lot of times in our lives when we have troubled hearts that we need those very practical answers that are going to tell me and you individually, personally, what can God do to help me through my troubled heart? So we're going to look at some of those things today. We're going to look at how those things apply. You know, we often need calming of our troubled hearts in those big times of trouble. And many of you, as Craig said earlier, many of us have gone through those or are going through those. You remember some of the things Pastor Jay said about storms in life. You're either in one, you're coming out of one, or you're preparing to go into one. And unfortunately, that's true. But I think, hopefully, God brought you here today to be lifted up and encouraged and strengthened in some way. So if you're not a believer this morning, if you're here and you may be seeking to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus means in your life, I want you to listen very carefully. But for those who profess to be believers, and you know in your heart of hearts that you are a child of God, I want you to listen very carefully because it's a good reminder for us. Exactly the songs that we're saying this morning, all those things, how it all ties together. We start out in John 14. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter. John 14, 1 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now listen, that's a great start because that, that, that word troubled from the Greek, it gives us the visual image of a really stormy sea. And I don't know about you guys, but I've watched some of these movies with these stormy seas. I wouldn't want to be out there. No way. Have you ever thought and felt in your heart that there's a storm coming? You know there's a storm coming, and you talk to it, you talk about it, you think about it, you pray about it, but yet that storm still keeps coming. And then when it hits, it keeps going. It doesn't seem to let up. Jesus said to his disciples, because he understood that with his disciples, just like with us, the storms in life, those troubles in our heart, those storms direct and are, are directly affect our hearts. So he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He's telling them this several times over and over again, but he tells them this one more time. Why, why is it that we often have troubled hearts? You know, I thought about this. The disciples had some problems, right? They had some personal problems. 
One of the first things that happens a lot of times when we have a troubled heart is because of our personal failures. Our personal failures. And I want you to think about this. Peter comes along, and Jesus is trying to explain to him, and Peter says, I'll die with you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you were going to deny me three times, Peter. And at the same breath, he's trying to tell the disciples and trying to explain to them that, you know, somebody's sitting here with us right now, eating with us, breaking bread, is going to betray me. They had personal failures in their life that caused them troubled hearts. But a second thing is, it was also troubled hearts because of the confusion about the circumstances. Confusion about the circumstances. Now, I want you to think about this. They knew without a shadow of a doubt that the Jews were trying to kill Jesus. He told them they'd seen it. They understood it. But there were some other confusing issues that were happening. They didn't understand what was going to happen with Roman government. They knew that Jesus had told them, I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be put on trial. And they didn't understand how all that was going to unfold. So they were worried. They thought, remember what these guys thought. They thought they were going to get to go with Jesus. They were going to march into Jerusalem. And they were going to go to the throne room. And he was going to be king. And they were going to rule. And they were going to be his right-hand men. And he tells them, I'm going away. And their immediate thought is, well, now you're leaving us? We're going to be left? And we're not going to be your right-hand men? Wow. They didn't understand. They had troubled hearts. Listen, God has a different plan for us. He has a better plan for us. And he has a better purpose in life for us. He tells us that over and over again. Jesus begins to share with them some basic truths. And he shares with us today some of those same basic truths in these same exact passages. Some people, when they face trouble and troubled hearts, they're rock solid. Other people turn to jello. It's, it's a truism. But what it's, what's the real difference? The real difference is in either trusting or not trusting what Jesus really says. So as we go through this, I want you guys to really think about this. Trust in God and trust also in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He tells us that. When our hearts are in turmoil inside, there's usually a storm raging outside. What's your strategy to deal with your troubled heart? Let's think about this for just a second. Do you ignore it? Do you pray maybe it'll just go away? Do you think, you know what? I'll hide from it. I'll escape from it. I'll use alcohol. I'll use drugs. I'll use illicit sex. I'll use anything I can just to escape from it for a little while. So I don't think about it. Maybe it's watching television. Maybe it's playing video games. Maybe it's something else, but you're going to hide from it for as long as you can. How do you deal with it? Are those things really our best strategy? Is that the best we have? Jesus says, I've got a different strategy for you. I have a better strategy for you. 
Jesus says, I've got a whole new strategy for you. Listen, John 14 could be the new manual for stress management if the world would apply it. It could be the manual for stress management if we would simply apply it. Let's think about this. I want you to, I want you to really realize in chapter 14, the single word will appears 27 times in that one chapter. He's either saying, I will, or you will. But the word will is there 27 times. He, sees, he says either I will do this, or you will do this. And he brings it to us over and over again. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't say, I condemn your troubled heart. You have a problem. You shouldn't have a troubled heart. He never says that. In fact, if you go back one chapter in chapter 13, he said even he had a troubled heart. He said, my heart's troubled because somebody's going to betray me. And yet, he doesn't judge us and he doesn't condemn us for having a troubled heart. He gives us a way not to have a troubled heart. And he brings that full circle. He doesn't say it's a sin to have a troubled heart. But it could be a sin if we allow that troubled heart to bother us and be a burden to us day by day and week by week and month by month. He says, I'm giving you the prescription of how not to have a troubled heart. He said, all you have to do is follow the prescription. He tells us that over and over again. Jesus commands us to face that troubled heart and to move past that troubled heart. He says, stop. If you look at the first part of those verses, do not let your heart be troubled. It's really an ongoing phrase that basically means stop letting your heart be troubled. He knows your heart is troubled, but it's stop letting your heart be troubled. So as we move through this, we need to think about that. He says, I'm going to go away when I'm coming back. And I'm going to come back and, and give you a heavenly home. He says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me. Look at what he says. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Now, he's talking to his disciples, but he's also telling us the same thing. He's saying, you know what? Your heavenly home is absolutely stable. It's a place of stability, security, and safety. It's a place where you are going to be welcome. He says, you're never not going to be welcome there. It should help calm our troubled hearts when we realize that there's a place that he's preparing for us. I want you to really put this in your mind for a few minutes. He's telling us there's enough room for everybody. Nobody has to be left out. Can you imagine? I was thinking about this the other day. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Every once in a while I'll hear somebody say, well, I don't like a big church. <laughs> Too many people. What do you think is going to happen to them in heaven? 
I thought about this. All these millions of believers are going to be going up there and doing like Craig said earlier, singing and worshiping and praising God. That's going to be one big church meeting. I don't think those folks are going to be real pleased. They may have to get over it. There's going to be a big surprise for them in heaven. It's going to be a big, big church. It's a home where we can be comfortable, we can be secure, we can be safe, and we can be stable. He tells us that. Listen, of all the passages <coughs> in John, this is the one that excites me the most. Because he's not just preparing a place for me, he's preparing a place for you, too. He tells us that. You know, he's preparing a specific place in eternity for each one of us. Now think of this possibility. He's getting ready to put us in a place that fits perfectly for each and every one of us. He says, in this mansion are many rooms, many homes, and you're going to reside in one. But that place is going to fit you just exactly right. He's doing that for every single one of us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. It's just like the songs we sang a moment ago. He loves us, and he cares for us. Listen, if something like that doesn't excite you to understand that he's preparing a place for you, and it's custom designed to fit you, something's wrong with your exciter. You should be excited about that. That's how much he loves us. You know, sometimes when we open the newspaper, I know some of you still read newspapers, magazines, the Internet, listen to the radio, watch TV, we can get bummed out pretty quick. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in this world. But you know what? He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. In those first three verses, he's telling us, he's reminding us, look, history's going to go this way. I'm telling you what's coming. But he says, I don't want you to be troubled. Because for you, there's a particular place that I'm preparing. But here's the interesting thing. He's not just preparing the place. He's preparing us. Jesus also says, you know where I'm going. Now put yourself in the place of the disciples. He's really not explained to them where he is going. Specifically. But he's told them over and over again, I'm going away. And here we said, verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is not really doubting in this case. He's trying to wrap his mind around it. He doesn't really understand. He said, Lord, I've got, a, I've got an honest question. So he asked the question. He had the courage to ask it. Listen, here's what we need to remember. Jesus took the experience of death and turned it into hope rather than fear. He did that when he went and was crucified, as we sang about a moment ago, so that we could live. He lives so we can live. He died so we can live. He tells us these things over and over again. This is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Look at what he says. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. 
from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, listen, <laughs> the way is through a person, and that person is me. He's saying, you know what? It, it's not a principle. It's not a plan. It's not a program. It's not a lifestyle. It has nothing to do with rules, feelings, or regulations, or religion. He said, it's me. It's through a person. And he tells them that. Jesus Christ is the way to life. He's the way to God. He's the way to heaven. He's not just the teacher of the way. He's not just the truth teller of the way. He is the way. Now, I know a lot of people just can't quite understand that. He's not the example of the way. He is the one and only way. And a lot of times when we say that, we say Christ is the only way. Some people are think, well, isn't that narrow-minded? Isn't that a little narrow-minded? Well, I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you a couple examples here. If I grab my smartphone, and my grandson just gave me a smartphone. <coughs> yeah, it's, it's a hick smartphone. The selfie feature's got a mirror in it. That's the kind of stuff my grandson gives me. But at any rate, <coughs> you pick up your smartphone, you're going to call your best friend or your wife. You've got to punch in the numbers. Now, some of those numbers are on auto dial. I understand that. But you know what? It's got to be the same numbers. It's got to be the same numbers in the correct sequence each and every time if you want to reach that particular individual. Doesn't that seem a little narrow-minded to you? I think the phone company's got some kind of conspiracy going on. What about the highway system? You ever think about that? You want to go from point A to point B on the highway? You go out here, you pull out to the left, you put it in reverse, and you're going to back up and go there. No, you're not going to get very far. Your event, you might get a ticket. You could get an accident. You could really hurt somebody. There's a right way and there's a correct way to do things. But there's only one way to get to God in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. He says it over and over again. Listen. He's preparing a heavenly home for us. That is so specifically fit to our needs and desires. You know, many people want there to be a bunch of ways to get to heaven. But he says there's not. A lot of times someone will say, but, but what about all those really good people? What about those good people? Well, there's two ways to look at this. We can either look at it that God looks and measures us on a scale. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. He sa he'll say, okay, we can look at it and say, okay, we'll have a scale 1 to 10. And 10 is you're getting into heaven, and 1 is you're definitely not going. So we start equating in our mind, okay, these people are really good. They've got a 9 or 8 or 9 or 10. They're going to heaven. But these people over here, they only got a 2 or a 3. They ain't going. Somebody will come along and say, what about all the people in the middle? That's the problem. What about all the people in the middle? God says, that's not how I look at it. 
He said, you all start on equal ground. You're all lost. You're all dying. You're all going to be separated from me. But I'm going to send my son. And he's going to give you a way back to me. He's going to give you the opportunity to come back to me if you'll accept him. That's the way back to heaven. He tells us that over and over again. God looks at the world in a different way than we do. Everyone is found, everyone is given the opportunity to go to heaven the same exact way. It's a choice. You have to make it in your mind, and you have to make it in your heart. And Jesus tells them that over and over. Listen, I don't know about you guys, but if I had to make it on my own, I wouldn't make it. I need to know for sure I'm going. I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. I want to make sure I have the opportunity to be in that heavenly home. But I don't know that unless there's another way for me to do it other than just being good enough. Because I'm not good enough. None of us are. I need to know for sure. Anyone who desires to find him knows the way. Jesus said so. Look at his answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Now, Thomas asked an earnest question, and it's probably one of the best questions asked in history. And Philip thinks, you know what? Thomas asked a question. I'm going to ask a question. Now, with Thomas, it doesn't turn out as well. There's a little bit of a catch here. Thomas asked one of the greatest questions, and Philip asked sort of one of the dumbest. So it gets him in trouble. Look at what he says. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? That had to cut. That had to hurt. Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Do you want to have the hope of heaven? Do you want to have the assurance then I'm telling you, you have to get to know Jesus now. What does that mean? The better we get to know Jesus now, the more opportunity we're going to have to draw upon what he's taught us and what we've been learning when the time comes and we have those troubles in our life, those heart troubles that we need to get past. Listen, if you and I get to know Jesus right now, We'll have all his strength, all his power that we just sang about in those songs to draw upon when the time comes and we need to draw upon that strength and power. Jesus said in number two, you will do even greater things than I have done. Well, when we first read that, we think, how can we do greater things than God has done, than Jesus has done? Verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. We look at it and think, how? 
you know, obviously we're not going to go out and lay hands on somebody and their, 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 their sight is going to come back if they're blind. And I don't think any of us can go out and lay hands on somebody and raise a dead man back to life like he did Lazarus. So we think, how can we do greater things than God? Well, I want to put it to you this way. It's not the quantity. It's not the quality, rather. It's the quantity. It's not in the quality. Think about this. It's greater in quantity and scope. He says this, the first day of life when in the church, when Philip went out and preached, how many souls got saved? 3,000. 3,000 souls got saved the day Philip went out and preached. There's nowhere in recorded history that says that Jesus, when he preached, 3,000 people got saved in one day. Think about that for a second. 3,000 people were saved and baptized the first day of the church. Another thing is, Jesus said they were going to take the message of the gospel to Judea, to Samaria, to the outermost parts of the earth. Where was Jesus' ministry? He stayed in Israel. So it's in quantity. But it's important that we understand something. Jesus says in verse 12, don't let these other things distract you from understanding the most important thing. Anyone who has faith in me will act and do the same. That's the point. That's the real point. Faith means that I will do what Jesus did. What does that mean? You remember the old saying, WWJD? What would Jesus do? That's what he wants us to do. When my heart is troubled, I need to do exactly what Jesus did. The first, first, first thing when Jesus' heart was troubled is he prayed to God. He looked for strength. He looked for courage. He looked for encouragement. He looked for support. That's exactly what he did. That means I talk like God. I have the same compassion to other people like God. I comfort others the same way God did. I come and I challenge others to be more Christ-like in their walk. That's being like Jesus. That's doing what Jesus did. He tells us that. I do the things that Jesus did, but I also do them in the same way. Number three, Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Now, this is not a license. It's not licensure. I want you to understand this. It's not like a genie in the bottle where you get three wishes. That's not what he's talking about. Circle, highlight, or underline those last three words in that verse. In my name. In that statement. In my name. What does that mean? When we ask something in Jesus' name, what does that really mean? I want you guys to think about that for a second. If God had to do everything we ask in his name... Think of this scenario for a second. You've got Christians over on this side of the room that are praying for their son or daughter to get married. You've got Christians on this side of the room that are saying, I don't want my daughter to marry that guy. 
So this side's praying against this side, and this side's praying against this side. See, God doesn't work that way. It's in Jesus' name. What does that mean? That means that when we ask in Jesus' name, we're talking to God, we're talking like God, but it really means that I'm free to ask God. I'm free to ask God. I'm not afraid to ask God. It means that I'm asking God and I want his will and I'm relinquishing my will so that his will can be done. That's really what it means. Think about that. He's got to teach us some things along the way. But I'm free to talk to God. And I'm depending on God for his power, his strength, his understanding, and his wisdom, not my wisdom, his wisdom to do what I know he needs to do. And I want it... I want these things only if it fits in God's plan and purpose for my life. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Only if it reflects the character of God. Because we need to reflect the character of God. That's what the world is looking for. Yeah, they're looking for chinks in our armor. We talked a little bit about that yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast. But you know what? God wants us to reflect his character everywhere we go. In everything we say, everything we do, he wants us to reflect his character. Verse 13 and 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name. Now, underline this. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. That's the reason. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. You know, sometimes the sad fact is we pray in, in our name and not Jesus' name. What I mean by that? We, we pray for our plan and our purpose rather than God's plan and purpose. That's problematic. You know, a lot of times we pray in our name because we don't feel like we have the freedom or the assurance to pray in his name. The flip side of that coin is a lot of times we don't pray in his name because we're scared to death of what he's going to tell us to do. And we come across with the mindset and the attitude, I don't know if I want to do that or not. But he says, if you're going to pray in my name, there's a next thing that's going to take place. Verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus said, you will obey me. You will obey me. Listen, when my heart's troubled, that's usually the last thing on my list is to be obedient to God because I'm looking for that way out. I'm looking for that escape. I'm looking for that calmness in another area. But he's the one that's going to give us the calmness. He's the one that's going to give us the assurance. Even though that may be the time we least feel like being obedient, that's the time we need to be most obedient. He tells us that. You know, obedience is not a very popular word anymore. We think of obedience and we think of dog training or maybe military boot camp. But you know what? If we really, really put it out there, God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. And every beautiful thing we see, just like the songs we sang, if it's in man or if it's outside in nature, it's because there's been obedience to God along the way. God spoke things into existence. He showed us that all these things were obedient to him, and because of that, 
We have what we have today. We have the beauty and the knowledge and the understanding because people were obedient. It's when they're disobedient that things fall into disarray. He tells us that. There's nothing that brings him more joy than our obedience. Number five, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit is comforter. And in comforter, the word is paraclete. And that, it gives you the visual picture of somebody coming alongside and, and helping hold you up and strengthening you and encouraging you. And he does that. The Holy Spirit does that for us. You know, you may be in desperate need of something. And someone comes along and they meet that need. They're being a comforter. The Amplified Bible translates a lot of different meanings. It calls it the helper, an intercessor, an advocate, a strengthener. Jesus saying this in verse 17. The world cannot accept him. Isn't that interesting? The world cannot accept him. I thought about that a lot when I read that. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. As believers, we know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is like a personal spiritual trainer. He is our support. He actually comes into our life and is that spiritual trainer to help us, to physically move us and encourage us and strengthen us. You know, a lot of times I've, I've, I've heard a lot of guys talk about, well, I'm in training to do this or I'm in training to do that. The only thing I'm in training to do is just stay going. <laughs> but you know what? I appreciate that because when somebody's in training for something, that takes discipline. And, but isn't it a lot easier, even if you're trying to discipline yourself to do something, to have somebody come along and work alongside of you? Wouldn't life be much easier if we'd allow that trainer to come alongside of us and tell us what to do or how to do it in a better way? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Things like when you're trying to pray, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, you know what, I'll help you. Or when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will do that for us. But we have to lean on Him. When you get to the end of a situation and trouble in your life, a troubled heart, and you feel like you just can't take one more spiritual step, the Holy Spirit will come along and say, you know what, I'm here. Lean on me. I'll help you. Jesus said in number six, I will not leave you alone and you will live. We just sang about it. He'll never leave us. He'll never leave us alone. That's awesome. Look at verses 18 and 19. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you will also live. That's fantastic news. There's nothing more depressing than feeling like you're all alone. But he says, you know what? You're never going to be alone because the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. And you're going to live. You're going to live because I live. He tells us that. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You won't be alone. 
You're going to live in this world. Listen, we live in a world, and we understand this. We know this, but it hurts. We live in a world that's dying and is going to be dead. But you know what? He says, you will live. If you believe in me, you have faith in me, you will live. The thing we need to remember is we're not like the world. Yes, we have to live in the world, but we're not of this world anymore. The minute you accept Christ as Savior, you are a citizen, and all your citizenship is in heaven. It's not in this world anymore. That's the difference between lightness and darkness. We live in the light. We don't live in the dark. That's the difference between death and life. We live because he lives. You and I will live. Jesus has given us the real life. Number seven, you're going to be one with God. Each and every one of us are going to be one, one with God. Verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. What's he saying? He says, he's saying, remember your true identity. Remember who you really are. Remember whose you really are. He says the world is going to tell you a lot of stuff. Don't believe it. He says, remember who you belong to. You are a child of God. Our identity is now tied to Christ as a believer. My identity is not in my job. My identity is not in a trophy I got sitting on a shelf. My identity is not in a past life. My identity is right here, right now, with God. Every single believer's identity is with God. As precious as families are, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, your identity is not even in your family. Your identity is with Jesus Christ. Number eight. Jesus says, another thing I'm going to leave you and bequeath you is I will love you. Oh, what a song. Thank you, praise and worship team, for that song. That fit right in. Jesus says, I love you. Listen, <laughs> it's a simple truth and a fact, and I need to hear it 100 times a day. So do you. You may not think you do, but we do. We need to know that Jesus loves us. We need to know that he cares for us. We need to know that he watches over us and protects us. Jesus loves me. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Now watch this. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. There's not one moment in our life, not one moment in your life, when you're not loved by the most significant and important and powerful person in the universe. Now, unbeliever, if you're sitting there and you think, well, he must not love me, that's not true. He does love you because you're here for a reason this morning. You're here listening to this, and he wants you to listen to this. And if you're watching on camera or TV or DVD or whatever, or if you're listening to it on audio, you're listening and watching for a reason. He wants you to understand this. 
the creator of all the universe. He spoke things into existence, loves us. Isn't that awesome? Number nine. Listen, he says, when your heart's really troubled and you're really bothered by the things that are going on, maybe you're in the midst of a personal storm, he says this. He would make us his dwelling place, and the Holy Spirit will remind us of everything he has said. He will make us his dwelling place. Something interesting about verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to, we will come to him and make our home with him. The word home here is the exact same word that he used when he described heaven and the places that he, those dwelling places that he's preparing for us. And I want you to understand something. He's not just preparing a place for us. He's preparing us for the place he's taking us. He's transforming our character bits by bit each and every day. He's preparing us. He's not just building a place for us to go. He's building us to go there. And it's important we understand that. We need to be ready for that heavenly home. Now listen, I, I can't, I don't understand if it's the place he's building is the physical sense or if it's my heart and my mind and my soul. I know he's preparing all those things, but I like to think that it's based on our, our desire, our aspirations of what heaven is like. I think he's going to make all that fit perfectly together so that it's heaven for each and every one of us. It's incredible that God lives in our lives. Look at what he says in 24 and 26. He who does not love me does not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's the absolute difference between somebody who loves him and somebody who doesn't love him. Listen, we, think, we often think, how can I respond to Jesus who's done so much for me? What can I do? One simple word, obey, be obedient. He tells the Israelites, he said, I don't want your sacrifices anymore. I want your obedience. Pure, plain, simple. He asked the same of us. Now, he will not make us obey. He gives us a free will. But that's what he desires. He desires of obedience. Listen, we need to make that commitment. We need to make that full commitment to him in our life to love him with all our mind, body, spirit, and soul. He tells us that. When we do that, he won't let us down. He sends the Holy Spirit to comfort us. He gives us the opportunity. He provides that spirit in our hearts to live within us and to help us when we have those troubled hearts. You ever wondered how John remembered all those things for all those years? that happened in the upper room. 
He just told us. The Holy Spirit reminded him. It's the same way with us. You're, you're talking to somebody, and maybe you're witnessing to somebody, and all of a sudden a scripture pops into your head, and you remember something. That's the Holy Spirit prompting you to tell that person what you just remembered. He's guiding us. He'll be with us throughout all the days of our life. Number 10. Jesus said, I will leave you with peace and the promise of my presence and an ongoing purpose in life. An ongoing purpose in life. He says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Listen, fear is a powerful motivator. If somebody's shooting bullets at you, you need to be fearful and get out of the way. But fear can also move us to a point where we get into the fight or flight or freeze situation. We either need to fight or we need to flee, but we don't need to freeze. Jesus says, I don't give you peace as the world gives you peace. I give you a different kind of peace. And he says he gives us that kind of peace because he loves us. And he loves us so dearly that he's preparing this place for us to go. And he's preparing us to go there. The peculiar thing about a troubled heart for me, I don't know how it is with you, but a lot of times when I get a troubled heart, it's not the big things, it's the little things that stick with me the longest. It's the small things that rub me the wrong way. And that starts to make my heart troubled. We need to remember we're never alone. God is always with us. The truth is God knows about all those little things that trouble us. But he leaves us with this thought. He says, remember the promises. He says, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you my presence. And he goes on and says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me so that you will be where I'm at. He says, you will do greater things than I have done. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. But remember, when we ask in his name, it's within his will. He's still listening to our prayers. He says, you will obey me. Listen, nothing in our life has happened that Jesus doesn't know about. You may think you're hiding something from God. You're not. He says, you will live and be one with God, and I will love you. I will love you. And God says, you know what? I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm preparing you for that place. And one day, one day, you're going to get to go there. And all the things that you have learned, all the things that you have read, all the things that you have heard, the Holy Spirit will remind you of those things when the need comes. He says that over and over again. And he promises as we close to give us the peace 
the comfort, the assurance, his presence. And he promises to give us the plan and purpose for our life. Let's pray. Father, as I read these final verses, I want us to prepare our hearts and minds and just listen to these words and think about these things that he told his disciples and he tells us the same things today. Jesus said, you heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now and let us leave. Lord, we thank you. We pray for understanding. We pray for your wisdom. Each and every one of us know what it's like to have and face some of those troubled hearts, those troubled times in our life. We thank you for the Lord's protection. We thank you for the Lord's provision. But Father, we want to understand how we can practically use your word to help calm our troubled hearts when those times come. And I pray that through these verses and through what we said today, helps individuals do that in a very particular and practical way. Now, Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, we offer that opportunity. All they have to do is come forward, share with us that they need Jesus, and we'll show them the way. And if someone is here and they've made that decision, but they've never been formally baptized, or they've never been baptized completely through immersion, the same way you were baptized, Jesus, we ask that they would let us know and we'd be more than happy to perform that for them, to do that simple act for them. And Father, if there's anyone here today that is just looking for a church home, they've maybe been visited and been our guests several times now and they believe and they know in their heart and their mind that this is a place that can come to worship and be a part of this family we invite them to do so today father we lift up all these things to you and if there's individuals today here that have troubled hearts i pray that you'd calm their hearts show them the way show them what they need to do to be closer to you so that we can have the calmness in our heart that you provide and you promise. And we simply ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would, stand please.
a couple minutes longer, but I do want to give you a, a, a little bit of a quick um, informational bulletin type thing here. Um, we are in need of some new, not necessarily new, but we need some positions filled. Um, the leadership enlistment team has went out and contacted many of our teachers and leaders and other folks that work behind the scenes in volunteer areas. And there's some areas that still have openings. Um, a couple of these areas right now, one is the kitchen. I know a lot of you want the kitchen open. You want to have food and things like that. But unfortunately, during the pandemic time and up till now, um, a lot of the kitchen guidelines have changed. There must be a person in charge or a kitchen manager, if you would. That position must be filled. Someone must be willing to do that. We'll pay for the training. We'll make sure that you get trained, all that. And we have to have certified food handlers. They have to go to classes. We need folks to do that before we can reopen the kitchen. I mean, there are some things that are holding us back, but we need individuals to do that. And I told you initially on, when all this first started, that if we didn't have leaders and we didn't have workers, we were not going to do those ministries. Another thing is we only have about five or six people that are willing, I know that are willing, to help with Vacation Bible School. I know that many of you would like to do Vacation Bible School. I know some of your um, um, vacations are not lining up with the dates we've talked about. But you know what? We can't do Vacation Bible School without workers. Um, there's not any women's ministry leaders for the women's ministry, okay? Leadership Enlistment has talked about all these things. All these things can come to fruition, but we need workers, okay? So I want you to understand that. And I'm not nudging you. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm just letting you know. Some of these particular things can't take place without the personnel behind the scenes and in front of the scenes to make those things happen, all right? Okay. So just pray about it. If you're willing to help and you have the capability of helping, just call the church office and let us know, and we'll have one of the leadership enlistment team personnel contact you. All right? All right. Thank you for coming today. I pray that you will have a great afternoon and enjoy your time and fellowship together. And let's sing our last song. What is All it? All right. The family of God. Just that. All right. We're going to sing the chorus. So glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family.
God bless you. Have a great week.